We're going to have a good time, so why don't you come and let it rip, Pastor Don. We love you. Amen. Thanks, guys. Go ahead and sit down. Feel really good, man. You guys feel good? There's a beautiful atmosphere in the house. I was telling Andrew, it was kind of really neat because I was watching um, just even during worship, and I looked, and it seemed like the whole church was fully engaged. That almost never happens. And when you see that, you know, there's a hunger in the room, and how many of you know God's attracted to the hungry? That's a big deal, man. I'm excited. I feel really good. Excited just to be with you again tonight. Um, just... Uh, just enjoying so much my time with uh, Pastor Andrew and Pastor Bex, and just just enjoying uh, their kids climbing all over my head. Uh, <laughs> but, but but we're having a blast. Love them boys to pieces, man. Whole bunches. A uh, lot of good things going on. Let me. Uh, it's just an exciting time. You guys feel really good. I, I really do. I just feel really good. I, I bought a friend of mine uh, a refrigerator the other day. It was getting delivered. I'm anxious to see his face light up when he opens it. You guys will get that later. Okay. So, but but I, I think that we're in an incredibly good time. See, some of you just got that right now. Never mind. Okay. But, sorry. But I think we're in an incredibly special time right now. And uh, I felt like the Lord really gave me a strong word for tonight. Uh, I, I'm anxious. I, I really feel like we're going to have a lot of time in prayer this, this evening. I, I, feel like, I feel like there's a real need to just lay hands on some people. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a super awareness how God's, if I can say this, you guys will understand what I'm saying. Like Sometimes you just see the fingerprints of God in situations. You see the fingerprints of God in circumstances. And, and, and I really, I, I prophesied over, over uh, Andrew and Rebecca the other night and, and I just heard the Lord really quick, clearly with this phrase, stay the course. And, and we began talking and the Lord just released some things there. I want to keep that phrase in front of you right now. Um, I live with this. This is one of the, there's several, several phrases that God burned in my spirit a long time ago that, that, that have set certain paradigms for the way I think and the way I live. And one of them is this. God won't give you what you pray for. He'll give you what you believe for. And there's a difference between praying for something and believing for something. I mean, you know, sometimes we get caught up in Christian mechanics. Well, we know we're supposed to pray for something, but if you're praying but you don't believe anything will happen, you're right. Do you understand what I just said? If you don't believe anything will happen, you're right. Right? It's Mark 11, if you would need to, the, 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 the chapter and verse, it's Mark 11, 23, 24, and 25. It gets real strong in that, but he says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believing you'll receive them, you'll have them. But if you're not believing to receive them, you're not going to have them. God doesn't give you what you pray for. He gives you what you believe for. Anybody follow what I just said? Because I think that's really, really important. Uh, let's, let's just start tracking this and we'll see where we get, okay? Um, go to 1 Kings 18. We'll hit about verse 41, somewhere right in there. How many of you ever heard of a, a football coach named Vince Lombardi? Vince Lombardi actually made an incredibly powerful statement one day. But he said, once you learn to quit... It becomes a habit. <laughs> That's really good. Once you learn to quit, it becomes a habit. Why? Wow, when things get hard, you know how to quit. Can I say this? Once a per boy, I'm, 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 again, no, no, don't take this the wrong way, but once a person gets divorced, their second marriage is more likely to end up in divorce seven times more than the first one was. 
That's, those are powerful numbers. Why? Because they learned how to quit. Boy, I hope that makes sense to somebody in the house right now. Because what I'm really challenging you with is this, man. Stay the course. You guys following me? I'm going to preach in a minute. I'm gonna, I feel it. I feel There's going to be a lot of kicking tonight. I'm just going to tell you right now. I, I can feel that in my heart. It just feels right. But, but Jesus is in the house. Okay? You guys at first, first Kings 18? Verse 41, down through 45. Follow with me, and then I'll explain. 1 Kings 18, 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees. Everybody hear me? Right? And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up, and he looked, and he said, There's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. Everybody there? And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there arise a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and, the, and, and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Everybody got that? Let me stop right there. If you follow the, 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 the chronology and understanding of where we're at, there's been a three and a half year drought on the land. Do you know why? Elijah prophesied drought. Prophets are cool people, right? It's just fun. Prophets love to do things like prophesy a drought. Okay? <laughs> if you follow the Old Testament prophets, okay? It's like, it's powerful. So the Lord tells, tells, tells Elijah, prophesy a drought. There's not going to be a rain. Great. It's prophesied drought. Where you want to have this drought at? Right where you live. Oh, bummer. Because okay? <laughs> now you're the product of, the, of your own prophecy. Boy, would that preach for about an hour. How many of you know sometimes you're the product of your own prophecy? Oh, <laughs> Oh, man, I could just shift the whole message right now. Sometimes we become the, own pro or the product of what the words were speaking out of our mouth. Right? Elijah prophesied a drought and happened to be right where he was living, but he did it because God told him to, so he's still following the Lord. And that's when he sends him to the brook Cherith, and there's a whole, there's a whole pile of stuff there. But it's the end of the three and a half years right now, and God is speaking to Elijah, and he knows there's going to be a rain. So he goes to Elijah, and he begins to, I'm sorry, he goes to Ahab, and he says, get up, eat, and drink. There's the sound of the abundance of rain. Now, when it's pouring down rain, you all know what that sounds like. But how many know sometimes you got to hear it before you can see it? I want to talk to somebody right now because this is a phrase that's burning in my spirit, but sometimes there's a shift before there's a, or there's a sound before there's a shift. Sometimes there's a sound. You're hearing something in your spirit before you're seeing something with your eye. You're hearing something. He said, I hear the sound. Uh, he didn't say, I see rain. He didn't say, it's going to rain. He didn't say, it is rain. He said, but I'm hearing the sound of not just rain, an abundance of rain. Now, he's got an expectation that there's going to be a rain. And when that rain's going to come, listen, he's not going to get deterred. I want you to see what happens. Follow this. Follow this, what happens. Let's just keep reading. Watch what, watch what he says, because I'm going to get us somewhere. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth. He put his face between his knees. I think that's amazing. Why? Because when he sends Gehazi, his servant, for the weather report, what did he tell him? It's sunny and clear, boss. Right? Where's Elijah? Is he looking at the sky, or is he looking at the ground? 
He's got his face between his knees. He's looking at the ground. He's probably sitting on his rear end with his face between his knees. He's looking at the ground. You guys follow that? Which tells me he's a skinny guy because us big guys can't do that. I'm just going to tell you right now. I don't want, I tried. It hurts. It's really bad. <laughs> like it's not going to go. Okay. Elijah's got his face toward the ground, not toward the sky. Why? Because if I'm only looking at what I can see, it might, it might cause me to think differently than what I've already heard. Sometimes you've got a word from God, but you're so busy looking at your circumstances that you now have just annihilated the word you heard because your faith, uh, come on, your faith has been subverted because you couldn't get your eyes off the circumstance to grab a hold of the promise uh, that God has already promised you. Stay the course. If God's given you a word, the word's going to come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie, but he is going to speak. And what he said, he will guard his word to perform it. That's not going to change. I feel this tonight, man. Elijah kept his face toward the ground. Why? Because he wasn't going to get moved by the weather report of Gehazi. He wasn't going to get moved by the circumstances that were around him. Sometimes we're... So caught up in our preconceived idea of how God's going to do it. Whoops. Not any of you folks, just people I've heard. <laughs> Come on. How many of you do that? Because I've done, I'm, I'm in this thing 40 years. I still find myself like praying and then telling God how he can fix it. And you guys ever give God any really good ideas? Like, you know, in your prayer, Lord, this is what I need, and this is how it would work, and if you do this and this, then that'll happen, and then this will take place, and then we're all in, you know? Because right? I'm going to tell you, I've been doing this a long time. I've given God so many good ideas, and He hasn't used any of them. And I'm pretty thinking that if He don't use one pretty soon, I'm going to quit giving them to Him. In the midst of all that, I love this, that it said, Elijah kept his face toward the ground. Because he wasn't going to get moved by the circumstances around him. He already got a word. If you've got a word, don't get moved by your circumstances and situations. You hold on to your word. So we told him, go check the weather. See anything? No, nothing, boss. Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. Right? Why? Because he already knew it was coming. Sometimes this is where you and I have a problem. We know it's coming, but we fall out with the timing. Do you understand what I just said? Yeah. Sometimes we subverted faith on number five weather report when we, all we needed to do was wait till the seventh. Oh, that was so good right there. I'm really preaching to me hoping y'all get something, but this is good. <laughs> you following what I'm saying? Come on, because by, by five we done wore ourselves out because we thought for sure it would have happened by now. All we needed was two more weather reports. The cloud was coming. And then I love this because he sends Gehazi, but the seventh time Gehazi comes back, what did he say? He said, I see a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. I don't even know what that really means. Like how far away does a cloud have to be if it's only this big? <laughs> yeah, like I don't know how you even see that. But here's what I love. In the midst of all that, that's all Elijah needed. Because he said, if God wants to make a storm, he only needs a small cloud. Oh, so there's a whole sermon in that. Come on. 
Because some of us, if Gehazi would have said, I see a cloud the size of a man hand. Well, go back again because we're going to need some really thunderbuster clouds for this one. Because we'd have a preconceived idea how God's going to bring the storm. And sometimes the storm comes, the answer comes, the blessing comes, the favor comes in a way that you never thought was even possible. I love this story. And here's why I'm going to tell you. No matter what the weather report, Elijah kept an expectation that placed a draw on heaven. Oh, I don't know if you heard me. But if we'll keep an expectation, it'll place a draw on heaven. I am expecting my deliverance. I am expecting my breakthrough. I am expecting my children in. I am expecting my finances. I'm expecting God to move on my family. I'm expecting God to change this. I'm expecting a divine turnaround. It, it might not look like a divine turnaround today, but I know that my promise is coming because God said it was coming. And if God said it was coming, then I know my breakthrough is on the way. I'm just moments. It might be in the next weather report and if it ain't that one it'll be the next one because my day is coming if I keep my expectation on heaven but we got to keep an expectation because if we don't have the expectation we ain't going to see the answer oh I hope you're following me today because I'm feeling Jesus in the house let me tell you that spirit of expectation will come because you know who your God is Here's the trouble we run into. Sometimes we know Him as God. But do you know Him as your God? Go to Psalm 62. Let me show you something I just recently saw. I love this. We're just going to read a couple of quick verses. Psalm 62. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, 5 and 7. 5 through 7. You there? Watch what David said. Truly my soul... Waits upon God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. I'll not be greatly moved. My soul wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. I, I, maybe you caught that. <laughs> but I think David had a handle on something. Because over and over in that little section right there, 14 times he'll actually use the word my because he understood this is my God. He's not just God. He's my God. He's not just our Father. He's my Father. He's not just the Lord. He's my Lord. He's not just a Savior. He's my Savior. He's not just a strength. He's my strength. He's my help. He's my hope. He's my God. It's my King. I know. Why? Because this thing's personal. And if it ain't personal, it ain't nothing. I'm going to tell you, if it ain't personal, you got, you got religion and not a relationship. Oh, that was like zing. But this thing got to be personal. He's mine. And if we don't get that, we lost out on the best thing going. I love that under an old covenant, David understood this. How much more under a new? See, what David was saying is, my expectation's personal. 
I know what my God will do. I don't know what your God will do, but I know what my God will do. But the only way you know what your God will do is if you've been through the fire once or twice. Oh, oh. See, once you've been through the fire once or twice, all of a sudden, (laughs) you start to understand how personal this thing gets. So we want a testimony, but you can't have a testimony without a test. And some of you failed to test because you had too much money. <laughs> That's another sermon. I got all time for this right now. <sighs> but you just can't run around money. You've got to just worship your way through the test so that you can have a testimony. <sighs> David had been through so much, but he said, I know who my God is. Listen, you might see, sometimes we think we got it rough. We don't got a king throwing javelins at us. We ain't, I haven't spent one night in a cave. Spent a few in a doghouse. That's another sermon. Okay. <laughs> she ain't here. I'm okay. okay. <laughs> Oops, online. Forgot. <laughs> Love you, baby. Okay, anyway. <laughs> but you're following me, right? See, this thing got to be personal. I just got a text. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> How many understand this? When you go through the fire, you got two choices. Every fire you go through, you can come out better or bitter. Whew. That fire's either going to strengthen you or tear you down. And you get to choose your response to the fire. But when you're going through the fire with him, now you feel like David. Do you ever read that? Because I read that sometimes and it really challenges me. But David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because the light's with me. And when you've got a light, there is no shadow. Come on, when the light's with you, there is no shadow. If I'm standing straight in the light, there's... It, oh. I'll talk to somebody tonight. See, this thing's helping me. I don't know. But here's where we're at. I find this stuff is so real. And if we don't get it, it's going to get through the fire. It matters. Let me talk to you. Samuel's God, man, man of faith and power. Right? Samuel's, do you, you guys, if you, you study biblical history here, you guys are pretty sharp. Samuel's the last judge because he anoints the first king. You guys remember this? And, and who's the anointed? Who's the first king? Come on, you guys know this? Saul, right? And why is Saul anointed king? You ever read it? Because he was head and shoulders bigger than everybody else. It said he was head and shoulders above the rest. And it wasn't like a dandruff commercial. This was like he's just a big guy. And, and, and out of that place, they, they choose him to be king. He didn't even want to be king. How many know he's hiding? Remember where he was hiding? Among the baggage. Do you understand that? Come on, why? Because sometimes we try to hide in our baggage from the appointment that God has for us. Don't let your baggage keep you from your appointment. So Saul gets into his place, and when he gets into his place, he's doing pretty well until a spirit of jealousy gets on him. Because David, you know, so now he's throwing javelins at David and all that kind of stuff, and it, it gets a little bumpy. In the midst of that, 
Long before David ever had, to, ever had a problem with David, Saul was having another problem. You know what Saul's problem was? The voice of the people had become louder than the voice of God. Because God sent him to take out the foreign king. And he goes with his people. And Saul, Saul got specific instructions from Samuel. Kill the king of Ai, kill all things, everything, slaughter everything, don't, you know. And he comes back with the spoils. How many remember this? Go with me. Let's just look at it a minute. I think it's 1 Samuel 18. Everybody okay? All right, let's look at it. So like I said, 1 Samuel 15. <laughs> That's pretty close. 1 Samuel 15, we're going to the end, right? Because what happens is Samuel shows up to Saul and he said, Saul, why didn't you do what God told you to do? Saul said, oh, we did it. We did it really well. We did it really well. We did it really, really good. Yes, we wiped them out. And he's like, well, what means the bleeding of sheep in my ear? Why am I hearing all this? No- oh, well, we brought back some sheep and the king because that, that's what the people wanted to do. And this is when Samuel says to Saul, it's better to obey than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fatter rams. You guys understand what he was saying? Right? You listen to, can I say this? You know what got him in trouble? He let their voice be louder than God's. But really, if you go back to the original sin, remember that Eve ate of the tree? Right? What caused Eve to eat of the tree? She thought God was holding something back. What? Selfishness. Every sin is rooted in selfishness. You can't name a sin that I can't trace its root back to selfishness. Eve eats of the tree because she thought there was something more for her. Right? Every sin, you pick it. A man tells a lie. Why? Because he's protecting himself. A guy commits adultery. Why? Because he wants something for himself. doesn't matter what the cost is to everybody around him. One man steals what another man had to work for. Why? Because he wants for himself what somebody else had to work to get. Every sin has its roots in selfishness. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 16, if any man would be my disciple, let him deny. Why? Because selfishness is the root of every sin. That's why we have to die to self so we can be alive to Christ. Everybody get that? That's worth coming for right there. You can go home. No, don't go home yet. It's good stuff coming. But in the midst of that, after, after Eve eats of the thing, right, and she gives to Adam and he also ate, God shows up, curses on the, on the, on the snake, right? We got the promise of, of Jesus, first messianic promise. And then you got the curse on the woman, right? And then he says to Adam, right? There's a curse that comes upon Adam, right? Curses the ground for your sake and sweat and all that else. But if you read it, it'll tell you what Adam's sin really was. Adam's sin wasn't because he ate the tree, ate of the fruit. If you read it, what's it say? Because you hearkened unto the voice of your wife and you ate of the tree that I told you not to eat of, cursed is the ground for your sake. What did he just say? He just said, you allowed another voice to be louder than mine. Because every time we let another voice be louder than God's, we're in trouble. Everybody tracking with me? 
You, you can read it. It's Genesis 3, probably verse 17 right there. So then, because you hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and you ate of the tree, which I told you don't eat. What? I told you don't eat it. She told you eat it, and you listened to her and not me. Everybody get that? That's really huge. So Saul allows the voice of the people to be louder than the voice of God through Samuel, if that's fair. You guys got that? Right? And so now Saul, Saul when Samuel shows up, better to, better, to, better to obey than sacrifice, better to hearken in the fat of rams. He takes Saul's own sword, cuts the king up into pieces. I don't know, kind of, kind of crude. I know it's Old Testament. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> In the midst of that, after that, what do we find? Then we find there's this, there's this challenge that Saul and Samuel run, bump heads with. And Samuel tells Saul, God's going to rend the kingdom out of your hand and he's going to give it to another. Right? Now, follow this because this gets really hot. Go down to about verse 34 of that same chapter. We're going down through 34 and into chapter 16. Right? Then Samuel went to Ramah. Why? Because that's where he lived. And Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he'd even made Saul king over Israel. Everybody see it? Here's what you need to understand. This is a big deal. Saul absolutely loved Samuel, and Samuel absolutely loved Saul. Like, Saul was like Samuel's boy. Like, he was, just, he was if, if Saul has a fan club, Samuel's the president. You guys follow this? I mean, Samuel really loved Saul, wanted him to do well, and then he failed. So there's this tremendous, terrible time because they're not going to ever see each other again. They're going to die apart from one another. Everybody okay? All right. So where'd Saul go? He went back to Gibeah. Where'd Samuel go? Back to Ramah. They're miles and miles apart, by the way. Okay? Look at chapter 16. And this is several years later, by the way. I read this at one point. According to the chronology in my Bible, it looks like about 11 years. I'm not sure that's correct, so I'm going to leave that alone. I do know there's a large space of time. Chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided me a king among his sons. Let me stop right here. I'm going to talk to us right now. I'm going to talk like a father to the church. Is that okay? Samuel's hurting. He's just gone through a really bad time. And I don't know how long that period is. But you know what God just said to Samuel? How long are you going to sit here? How long are you going to mourn over a past failure? You know what God actually just said to Samuel? You can sit around in your disappointment or you can get up and get to your next appointment. Because I think sometimes we go through these hurts, we go through these difficult places, and then we're just so guarded and so afraid that I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Because if I do nothing, nobody can hurt me. And that's not the will, the plan, or the purpose of God. And here's a great man of God. This is like Samuel, and Samuel's like the champion. And what's he say to Samuel? He said to Samuel something very powerful right here. But he says to him, you can sit around in your disappointment, or you can get up and go to your next appointment. Now grab your horn of oil, because there's a king that's waiting to be anointed. Can I tell you, it might be you rising into your place uh, that sets the next one in order. But if we don't fill our place, how will they fill theirs? You may be the catalyst to somebody's blessing if we just get obedient to God and do what He asked us to do. That's powerful. 
teach us what that really looks like, God, because, man, we need that. We really need that. Can I say something? Don't let disappointment get you off course. That's what I wrote. Don't let disappointment get you off course. Because here's the deal. You have a purpose. And God has a plan. You have a purpose. And God has a plan. It's a big deal to me. I mean, it's not a little deal. It's a big deal. And somewhere in our heart, we got to ask ourselves the question, am I fulfilling the plan and purpose that God has for my life? Because you have a purpose. And God has a plan. And when your purpose meets God's plan, heaven touches earth and earth is forever changed. Can I talk to you real plain? I could say, who here has been hurt? But it'd be easier to say, who here has not been hurt? The reality is, I've watched a lot of people go through tough places. Pastor Lori and I have been pastoring now for, I think, 37 or 38 years, somewhere close to that, something like that. And, and you know what? We've been through some tough places. It's been bumpy more than once. I've quit lots of Mondays. <laughs> Never make a decision on a Monday if you're in the ministry. <laughs> okay, but, but, but here's the reality. You go through these tough places. But here's the reality. Can I talk to you? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. How many believe that? But his sheep bite. <laughs> and sometimes sheep bites hurt. But here's the reality. We're called to love people. And if we can love people, we have to understand that people are imperfect. And we got to still be able to love and worship in an imperfect situation. Because this is the life is the only opportunity you have to worship God in an imperfect situation. Because we'll worship Him in a perfect situation for eternity. But we get to do it now in an imperfect situation. And with the challenges that we have around us and things that are going on near us, here's the deal. We're called upon to actually keep our heart pure and our conscience clear and just keep loving people no matter what. I've prayed this prayer, God, perfect love in me. But God doesn't perfect love in you by setting you up with a bunch of lovely people. God perfects love in you by bringing some grouchy folks around, see if you can love them. That's how love gets perfected. Quit elbowing your spouse, that's wrong. Okay, never mind. Okay. Here's the reality, man, because there's something about that, that. You know what? It's easy to love lovely people, but can we love the unlovely people? That's what God keeps challenging us to. And I look at this situation, and I'm thinking, man, if I get hurt and then I close myself in, I'm keeping... Can I say this? When we withdraw from the church, we have robbed the body of Christ of the gift of you. Do you understand what I just said? Because you're a gift to the body of Christ. You're a gift to the body of Christ. And when we close ourselves off, we're robbing the body of the gift that God gave in us. Make sense? And we find that happening over and over. And we're really challenged with that, saying, God, teach us to do better with this stuff, because it really does matter. 
Here's the deal. Go to 2 Kings 7. Let me show you this. This is a, this is a weird situation. I'm going to show you what happened. In 2 Kings chapter 7, just verses 3 and 4. Let me just hit this quick. There were four leprous men that's entering into the gate. How many understand that lepers in that day were marked? They were outcasts of society, right? They'd wear a brown hooded garment. If you came within 50 feet, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. Do you guys know this? Why? Because leprosy was very contagious. Anybody got near you, it was under the law that they had to decree, unclean, unclean. That meant stay back. I'm a leper, right? So they had no societal thing. They could intermingle with each other because what are you going to do, get leprosy? You already got it. So, so, you know what I mean? So they interacted with each other, but they couldn't interact. So they had leper colonies. You guys familiar? Right? Right? Ireland. I was just in Ireland. Right? At one point, there was a huge leper colony in Ireland. They were telling us about it. And I didn't know that. And at one point, the, the, almost the entire island was actually a place for prisoners. And I, so I, they were, we were on a tour with a guy, and I actually asked him, I said, is that where they got the phrase? He said, what? I said, leper cons. But, but that is true about the lepers and the prisoners. That is true. Okay. Okay. But it's not when I got leprechauns. Okay. Never mind. That, that's a whole other message. But, but, but lepers were very... So, so here you've got four leprous men, right? And, and they're at the gate of the city, right? Now keep reading. Watch. And they said one to another, why sit we here till we die? It's pretty big. There's a famine. They're outside the city at the gate. They can't get into the city. They're not allowed in the city. Why? They're lepers. Got the Syrian army that's besieged the city. Syrian army's over here. The city's over here. And they're stuck in between, but there's a famine now. Not a famine, but the city's been besieged. They can't go to the Syrians. The Syrians will kill them. They can't go in the city because it's illegal for them to go in the city because they're lepers. They'd be killed. So what are we going to do? Just sit here till we die? Oh, I hope somebody just heard what I said. Do you understand what I'm saying? Come on. They said, why sit we here till we die? If we say we enter into the city, then the famine's in the city and we'll die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let's fall into the host of the Syrians. And if they save us alive, we live. And if they kill us, we were going to die anyway. That's really what they said. You guys tracking with me? Why say all that, Pastor? Well, it's a paradox. I think when I talk about staying the course, keeping your expectation on God, I think sometimes in our life, we're sitting here waiting on God. While God in heaven is waiting on us. And we're sitting here. You've got a limited time you can wait. God's eternal. (laughs) Do you understand what I just said? That's really important we get that. I mean, God's not even worried about time. He had no beginning. I haven't figured that out yet. Okay. (laughs) Other than he ain't worried about time. He's outside of time. You're in time. And the truth of the matter is I find that sometimes when I talk about staying the course, when I talk about going after this stuff and really perceiving and saying, God, I'm, I'm all in. I feel like I need to talk about that. All in has to be more than a neat t-shirt. All in has to be more than just a catchy phrase. All in has to be more than just some kind of good worship song. All in is a lifestyle. I'm going to tell you right now. 
probably seven years ago, the Lord really spoke to my heart about this. I've used it a thousand times. But over and over, I continue to hear God saying this. The dividing line is becoming more and more defined. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either gathering to me or you're scattering from me. But I'm telling you, there's no such thing as riding the fence anymore. Matter of fact, if you're on the fence, you need to know something. Satan owns the fence. And I really feel like we're in that place right now where we've got to make a decision. I'm going to stay this course. I'm going to go after this thing. I'm all in. I'm going after it. I'm not just going to sit here till we die. I can't sit. Listen, they, they got the Syrians here and they got the, they got the city there and they're stuck in between. And I feel like there's a lot of people that are stuck right now that are saying, I don't know if I should go in the city or go toward the army. But here's the deal. Make a decision and go after something. I, I feel like we've got to go after something. I, I'll say this, I've even talked to a lot of people because I counsel a lot, and there's people that are saying, man, I, I don't want to do this because I might miss God. So we do nothing, and if you do nothing, you're guaranteed to miss God. What does it look like to make up your mind? I'm going after this thing with everything in me. I'm selling out. Because tonight's a good night to sell out. Man, if there's an anointing in this room right now, I, I'm, I, and I know where we're heading, so just hang with me for just a minute. But I feel Jesus really strong right now. And I feel like there's a place where, where you and I have to make up our mind. Go to Luke 22. Let me show you. So it's Thursday night and Jesus is in the upper room and he's eating the Passover with his disciples. Judas has left the room. He's dipped the sop. You guys know this story. Andrew was talking about some of that when you were doing the offering the other morning, yesterday morning maybe it was. You were talking about Jesus and how his tunic was valuable and, and had a treasurer. Do you know the disciples actually thought that Judas was just going out to take money to the poor? So that must have been pretty common. That Jesus was so generous that he was always helping somebody with the funds out of the treasury. Because they said, well, he must be going to help somebody. He was going to take care of the poor. You can read it it's in the Gospels. Judas is gone, but he's gone actually to get with the high priest and the chief priest and what have you. In the midst of that, Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, I'll never deny you. How many know that's true? How many know when Peter said that, he meant that? You know he meant that, right? He literally meant, there's no way, dude, I won't deny you. How do you know he meant that? Because when the soldiers come to get Jesus, somewhere between 200 and 600 soldiers show up, and Peter has one sword, and he's ready to take them all on. Am I right? You guys know this, right? Come on, he takes a sword, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. That's one of the coolest stories in the Bible. I don't know if you think that's cool. I think that's really cool. Right? Because you got to understand this, and I might have even talked about that here, but here's the deal. Peter doesn't take a sword, because we picture Malchus's ear getting chopped off, and it's not like Peter took a sword, and he went like this, and he cut off Malchus's ear. Because if he did that, he'd have broke his shoulder as well. There would have been all kind of damage there. Peter swung the sword this way to cut off Malchus's head, and Malchus ducked, and it glazed and took off an ear. Right? And Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear, and puts it back on. I think that's really cool. But I wish Malchus wouldn't have ducked. 
And he cuts off his head, and Jesus goes, hold it. And he picks up the head, and because that would have been really cool. I just, I don't know. I mean, the ear thing's still cool, but that whole head thing would have been really, really neat, man. Peter, at this moment, you need to understand, Peter's all in. But when Jesus said, Peter, you put up the sword. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Everybody else booked it, and then Peter booked it. And when he took off, his curiosity was getting the best of him. And he comes by to see what's happening. I want to pick it up with you right there in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. You guys okay with this? We're going to 54. I want you to see this. Because to me, this is probably one of the things I really want to talk to you about, and then we're going to pray. Luke 22, about verse 54. Okay? Everybody all right? You there? Then they took him and they led him and they brought him into the high priest's house. Peter followed afar off. When they kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and they were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as she sat by the fire, earnestly looked upon him and said, This man also was with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of an hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also is with him. He's a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what you say. And immediately while he spake, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crows, You'll deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Everybody see it? This is a big deal. Jesus said, before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Three times Peter denies the Lord. And what happens? That's why preachers eat so much chicken right there. But it's another sermon. This used to be a beer belly. Now it's a chicken coop. <laughs> Jesus delivered me. In the midst of all this, this is what I want you to understand. Where was Peter at? He's standing by the fire. You guys get this? What's he doing? He's being affected by the atmosphere of the fire. Camped out around the fire. Affected by the fire. It felt good to be in the atmosphere of the fire. The problem was he wasn't carrying the fire. Oh, I feel like preaching right now. Pentecost came and what happened? The fire came on him. <laughs> At Pentecost came, the fire didn't just come on him, it came in him. <laughs> See, Peter went from being affected by the fire, come on, to having carrying the fire. Because <laughs> sometimes we come, we like to be affected by the fire, but when we go out, we don't have the fire inside of us. <laughs> but once the fire's inside of you, you can't stay the same. I think there's something that happens uh, that we put a draw on heaven and all of a sudden, when the fire's inside of me, now watch, I'm not being affected by the atmosphere, I'm changing the atmosphere. Why? Because you weren't called to be affected by the atmosphere, you're called to change atmospheres so that everywhere you go, the atmosphere's changed. Why? Because of what you're carrying, you're carrying the fire. I promise you, this happens to me all the time. But I'll go into the hospitals where there's hopelessness in the room. Then I showed up. I promise you, when I show up, hope came in the room. Why? Well, I carry him. 
I hope you understand what I just said. People can be discouraged. Then you come alongside and put your arm around them and all of a sudden courage just came. Why? Because you just changed the atmosphere. Why? Because you're carrying the fire. You're not just being affected by the fire, you're carrying the fire. But that doesn't happen if you're up and down and up and down and up and down. You got to stay the course. Oh, I feel like talking to somebody right now. You got to stay the course. See, Peter got challenged and he wasn't ready for the challenge yet. And in the midst of it, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I'm telling you, I don't know the man. And then here's what I love. Did you read that? He went out and wept bitterly. Do you know what I really like about this? Peter just messed up. Do you know where we find Peter in the next glimpse? He's with James and John in the upper room and the women have just showed up. The women just showed up. The women that went to the tomb on that Sunday morning and found the tomb was empty. And all of a sudden Mary Magdalena runs to this room and what she found? She found the disciples gathered in the upper room. And she told him, she said, the to- I went to the tomb and the tomb was empty, right? Come on. And there's a foot race, and Peter and John run to the tomb, and John gets there first, but Peter runs right in. You know what I love? Peter messed up, but as soon as he messed up, he doesn't stay away from them. Come on. And you know what else I love? They didn't kick him out of the club. My God, sometimes somebody messes up, we're ready to give them left foot of fellowship. Uh, uh, here's the deal, man. Uh, we gave them the right hand when they came in. We gave them the left foot on the way out. It was just, oh, get out of here. You messed up. We can't kick them out of the club. They said, man, come on. We'll restore you. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. That's not who Jesus called you to be. He called you a rock, and we're going to make sure you rock the world. He's hanging out here affected by the fire. But 50 days later, the fire would come on him. And then it's Peter on the soapbox in Acts chapter 2 delivering the message. And the church begins to explode. Don't give up on old Peter. Don't kick Peter out of the club. Man, I hope you're tracking with me. Stay the course. Don't find yourself in Peter's shoes running the wrong direction. I love the idea that even though he messed up, he found his way right back to where he needed to be because he knew where his help was. Knew what his support looked like. Knew, I don't know what all he said to them. Look, we don't have the conversation anywhere. But I can tell you this. That was Friday, but Sunday he's in that room. Maybe it was Saturday. But he went out and wept bitterly. That tells me there was real repentance. And then all of a sudden there's reconnection. Oh, Why? Because he knew the course he was called to run. Just because you got off track doesn't mean you can't get back on track. Come on. Come on. Sometimes, sometimes you need the Holy Ghost as your GPS. Oh, and you got off track. But you know what it says when mine does? It says recalculating. Come on, because sometimes you need some Holy Ghost recalculating. You got off track, but now it's recalculating. And, and come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's recalculating, and all of a sudden now, you're back on track. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. Listen, man, thank God. 
You want to get to your destination? Right there is the best road map you'll ever find. You got your Bible, that's a road map. But if you got the Holy Ghost, you got a tour guide. It's that solid in me, man. I feel this tonight. Here's what I want to talk to you about, man. Stay the course. Don't just hang out and get affected by the fire. Get the fire inside of you. Because if you just get affected by the fire, you'll be up and down. Do you know why? Uh-uh. I love a good campfire. You can stand out by that campfire and get up. Oh, it feels so good. Oh, warm, toasty. Ah, it feels good. But you know what? Sooner or later, that fire's going to die. Sooner or later, you're going to have to go home. Sooner or later, you're going to go to bed. And that fire, do you understand? That fire's only going to affect you for so long when it's external. You being a good church, you being the best church service ever on a Monday night. Here, best preacher you ever heard on a Monday. <laughs> no, come on. But, 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 but by Friday, it might not sustain you if it's only external. But when it's internal, <laughs> oh, listen. <laughs> Leviticus 14 talks about the fire shall never be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. That's the fire. Do you guys know this? Let me give you this real quick and I'm gonna, we're going to pray. But every morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to say roughly 9 o'clock in the morning, they offer what was called the morning oblation. You guys follow what I'm saying? And the priest would go in. Can I give you guys a really cool picture? Can I help you guys? we got a little time. What time is it? We good? Cool. All right, let's go to Herod's temple. Get in your mind. Right, because when Jesus is alive, it's Herod's temple. Okay, Herod's temple, there's no Ark of the Covenant, but there is, right? You guys, okay? Everybody's tracking. Okay, so what's happening is they got Herod's temple built, and, and I'm going to teach you some cool stuff right now. Is that okay? I love, I love teaching, so let me teach you a little bit, okay? Out here, you got the outer court. Gentiles can come to the outer court. Women can come to the outer court, Right? That's the outer court. But, and you can come up to the steps. That's about all the farther you can come. Now, you need to know that that courtyard all around there and those steps were made out of marble. Everybody okay? They were marble. It's important you know that. As you walk into the temple, right, you got the first court you come to is called the court of the women. And there's a little fancy thing there. Why? Because the women were only allowed to go that far. If you were a Jewish woman... You could come into the court of women. If you're a Gentile, the Gentiles, whether you're a man or a woman, you can only go this far. But a Jewish woman on the scene, if you would, had more prominence than even a Gentile man. Everybody follow that? Because the Jews looked at the Gentiles as dogs. So you could come this far as a Gentile, but this far as a Jewish woman. That's all the farther you could go. The next court was called the court of men. Everybody follow what I just... Sorry, I got you. The court of men, right? And the, and the Jewish men could go that far. So a man went farther than a woman. Now, in that court right there, you're going to find four rooms on either side. You've got two rooms on the left. You've got two rooms on the right. First room on the right was, was there for storing salt. Why'd they store salt? Remember that Jesus said something about salt? You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, it's not good for anything but to be trodden under the foot of men. You guys remember that? That was in that room, salt. Why? Because during the rainy season, all that marble was real slippery. 
And they would take the salt that had lost its savor, but they kept it as an anti-skid. You guys got that? Room for salt. Left-hand side, over here, first room. It was a room for wood. They kept wood in that room, and they stacked it really high. Why? Because every morning and every evening, they had the morning and the evening oblation. Nine o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon. They would offer a sacrifice on the platform. Okay, I'm going to talk to you about the platform in a minute. Because that would be at the court of priests behind what's called the Kaluma Veil. Everybody okay? You guys tracking with me? Get a visual. I wish I had a whiteboard. I'd draw it out, but that's okay. You're drawing it in the whiteboard of your mind. Okay, <laughs> okay. so you got salt here, you got wood here. The next room behind the wood room was actually called R&R. &R. It was for rest and relaxation. Do you remember when Jesus is brought into the temple? They said there was a woman there named Anna the prophetess, right? Who, what'd she do? She stayed in the temple night and day, praying and not ceasing, right? Remember that? Rest and relaxation. That's where you're going to find her. Over here on the right, you got a room for questions and answers in the temple. Why is that important? Because at 12 years old, where did they find Jesus? He'd have been in that room right there with the scribes and the, and, and the lawyers. You guys know this, right? With the doctors and the lawyers, right? And they would just say, do you know what it says? It says he was asking them questions and giving them answers. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> like he'd ask them questions that they couldn't answer. And then this 12-year-old boy, you picture this long, white-bearded guy with all their gowns and whatever. And they're just blowed minds, blowed minds. I can hear one of them look at, little boy, how old are you? Well, on my mother's side. I'm 12 years old. <laughs> but on my father's side, I'm Alpha and Omega. <laughs> on my mother's side, I've only been a little while. But on my father's side, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> on my mother's side, oh, I wasn't around long. But on my father's side, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Oh! You go past the court of men, you get into the court of priests. The court of priests was fairly large. The men would bring their sacrificial lambs and their sacrificial birds and all those kind of things. And they'd, off, they'd hand them to the priest. There'd be sacrifices and all those things would take place. And the priests would take them. They had a separate entrance even to the court of priests because that bar separating the men from the priest was solid. There was no gap in that bar. And as the priests come in, there would be a curtain right here called the Kaluma Veil. And that would separate the holy place from the court of priests. And at the holy place, there were two fires, one on either side. They were called to keep the fire burning. So even the priests under the Levitical priesthood, under the laws, were told every morning and every evening, you would, the fire would be fed and kept. But every day you would go in and you would remove the ashes of yesterday's fire. Why? Because you don't want the ashes of the past putting out the fire of the present. Oh. 
Some of you got to get some ashes of the past out of your way so that you can have the fire of the present. And they were told, you, to, you change your garments and you take those ashes, put them in a pail. Then you take it down to the Dungate and that's where you would drop it off in the Gihon Valley. Why? Because we don't want that stuff infecting us in any way, shape, or form. I'm here to tell you, stay the course. Don't let the ashes of your past keep you from the glory of the present because God has a magnificent future if you just keep your focus on Him. I feel this today. I hope you're tracking with me because in my world this means something. Behind that Kaluma veil, that Kaluma veil, by the way, would look similar to your living room curtains. Behind that was another veil. It was 60 feet wide, 30 feet high, and the width of a man's hand. It's called the catapatasma veil. There was no separation in that. The priests would go behind that catapatasma veil one time a year on the Day of Atonement to offer the sacrifice for the sins of Israel. It's that veil, by the way. 60 feet wide, 30 feet high, 6 inches roughly, the width of a man's hand. About 6 inches thick. And from the very top to the very bottom. The Bible says that Jesus on Golgotha's hill looked up to the Father. And He said, Father, into Your hands I commend My Spirit. It is finished. And He commends His Spirit to the Father. And at that moment, the Bible says, the earthquake, the rocks rent, the graves were opened, and the veil of the temple was rent in two. You know what God was saying? Everything that kept men from my presence is now being torn away. And you have access to a holy God. Stay the course. Stay the course. Don't, don't get distracted. Don't lose your focus. Don't let, don't let yesterday's ashes keep you from today's fire. Stay the course. Don't let something that you had a promise in the past, you didn't see it fulfilled. Can I say something? Get back on track. Recalculating. It's just time to let your Holy Ghost GPS bring you back into alignment. Why? Because God's got a promise for you and you have a purpose and God has a plan and He wants to fulfill His plan because when His plan meets your purpose and your purpose meets His plan, things come, heaven touches earth, earth is forever changed. But you've got to stay the course because if you don't stay the course, I know this man's history. We spent a lot of time together. I love this guy with all my heart. Would have been easy for him to quit. But if he quits, this don't happen. Your life might be impacted because he didn't quit. You understand what I'm saying? Your life has been impacted because he didn't quit. It'd be impossible for you to say no because you're here right now being impacted whether you like it or not. (laughs) Could have quit. What would your life look like if he didn't say yes to God? Or if he said, I can't take it no more. Why do you say that? Because my question is, whose life would be impacted if you quit? Let me tell you something. I'm trying to remember this guy's name. 
I think it's Robert Shoemaker. Anybody ever hear of Robert Shoemaker? Pretty big deal in heaven, but not on the earth. Robert Shoemaker was a Sunday school teacher who taught a second grade class in a Baptist church where a young man came to church for the first time and heard the gospel on a Sunday. Went home and got messed with all that night from God. Come back to the shoe store that that man was working in. Went down in the basement of the shoe store where that man was, was stacking or doing inventory on shoes and said, and I think his name was Shoemaker. I might be wrong on that. But he said, Mr. Shoemaker, could you explain to me that Bible lesson? It's the first time I've ever been to church. Mr. Shoemaker explained to a young boy named Billy whose last name was Graham. Listen to me. You might not ever heard of the teacher, but you sure heard of the student. But if the teacher doesn't stay the course, oh, I don't know if you heard me. See, you might not be Billy Graham, but you might be a Robert Shoemaker. I, oh, I hope I just said something impactful to you. Because Andrew Billings may never be famous, but Benjamin Billings might. Because <laughs> that boy scares me, I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> I think he's going to stomp some devils in his day. <sighs> I'm on this thing. You guys tracking with me, right? Here's the deal. Stay the course. All this stuff that we just talked about means something to me. I, I hope it means something to you. But we, we, Elijah kept his head between his knees because he didn't want to be distracted by the visual circumstances in his life at that moment. He knew the promise of God. Everybody hear me? He knew the promise of God. Do you know the promise of God over your life? Listen, I'm just going to talk to you real plain. I've got a ton of prophetic words spoken over my life that I call them prophetic promises. I'm believing for them to come to pass. And, and I'm not about to give up. And some of them are a few years old. But you know what I think? I'm one day closer. I'm one day closer to seeing them prophetic promises fulfilled. But if I just blow them off like they don't mean anything, then I'm distracted by what I see rather than what I know. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man. Man, I hope you're hearing me. It means something to me. David knew his God. My God, my salvation, my strength. Is he yours? Is this thing really that personal to you? Listen, man. Samuel got hurt and started just sitting around. God had to track him down. You're going to sit around in your disappointment or rise up to your next appointment? That might be why I'm here right now, to challenge you. Quit sitting around in your disappointment. Get up and get to your next appointment. God's got a plan for you. Don't let that discouragement get a hold of you. Listen, discouragement's one of the greatest tools of the devil. If you're discouraged, I'm going to tell you that's not from God. If you're despondent, that's not from God. Can't just sit here and die. Can't just sit here and die. Don't sit there and die between the city and the army.
Make a move. Let's, let's do this thing, man. Don't just be impacted by the fire. Carry the fire. I'm going to lay hands on you tonight. Andrew's going to lay hands on some of you tonight. I just feel Jesus in this room really strong. Fire's going to come, I'm telling you right now. There's so much. There are certain times in my life where I just know what God's doing. And I'm telling you, I'm not one of these. I'm not a big feeler. I'm just going to talk to you real plain. Is that okay? I've been prayed for by the best. The who's who in the Christian zoo. I've only, I'm in this thing almost 40 years now. I've only been on the carpet like six times that I've been slain in what we call slain in the spirit. Doesn't happen to me. I'm not a big manifester. I lay hands on a lot of people. They fall out. And honestly, can I talk to you real plain? It's not about how many times you fall down. It's how you walk when you get back up. I'm in a room with Randy Clark and Bill Johnson. There's several of us pastors. They're going to lay hands on all of us. There's like 175 of us in the room. They pray. At the end of it, there's four of us standing there looking at each other like we're all heathens. <laughs> but I refuse the courtesy drop. If it ain't God, I ain't falling. That's just a whole other sermon. I don't have time to mess with that. But I'll tell you what, man, I'll walk it with the best of them because that's what matters to me. It's not about falling down and getting up. It's about walking your walk. It's not how high you jump on a Sunday. It's the walk you walk to when you come down that matters. And we got to do this thing well. But I know that right now, this is something that happens to me. It's a, it's a phenomenon I don't understand. But there's a handful of times, and I'd say in a year, maybe a dozen, 15 times that it'll happen. But my hands literally get hot. And I can feel them burning right now. And I just know that that's something tangible that God wants to do. And I feel like the fire's going to come upon you. But what you do with that it's entirely up to you. I know, I know Brother David Hogan comes here pretty regular. And him and I are really close, and I, I, I know that's a big deal for him. I think when he puts his hand on you and yells fire, that means something. If he yells fuego, look out. <laughs> fuego! <laughs> fire, fire, fire. <laughs> He's whacked me a few times. But, but here's what I can tell you. It's not about just getting hit by the fire. It's about carrying it when you go out the door. Peter was warmed by the fire, but it's not until he started carrying the fire that he changed the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's really good if we get this. What are we going to do with this thing? Because it's going to matter. Mason, come on to that penny on. I feel Jesus in the room. Here's what I know. God is in this place. I'm going to say some things right now, but it's a Monday night. That means you're not here because you had to be. I don't think, does anybody here, your mom drug you? I tell people when I was a kid, I had a drug problem. My mom drugged me to church every week. You're here because you're hungry. You even got the shirts, the hungry ones. My house prophet, I took him home a not ever Satan shirt. He, he done got that thing wore out. He wears that all the time. Hungry ones mean something to God. The question isn't, are you hungry? The question is, what are you going to do once you ate? 
because once you eat, can I say this? You gotta burn up them calories. We went to this pancake place today. It's called the Original Pancake House. Anybody been there? Some kind of original house of pancakes, whatever, you know what I mean? Got that big apple thing. I had to repent seven times this afternoon. There's eight days worth of calories in that thing. (laughs) 16,500 calories, I think. (laughs) I told Andrew, this is going to be at the marriage supper. I don't know where. It's going to be. It was so good. Once you're full, you got to do something. Because I think in the church, we've eaten and eaten and eaten. But are we doing something with it or just becoming fat babies? Stay the course. God's got a purpose and you got a plan. Don't get discouraged. Don't let the ashes of yesterday's fire keep you from the fire of today's present. God's got amazing things for this house. So I'm going to talk to you real quick. Stand with me. It's good. We'll get this out of the way if we can. Here's here's where my heart's at. I know if I get you to stand, I'll I'll end quicker. I want to say this if I can. I, I pray for you guys. This house has a very special place in my heart. Andrew and Bex have a very special place in my heart. I follow a bunch of you guys on Facebook, just knowing what you're doing, and like when you're traveling to London, things like that. And I, I, I like that stuff. You guys got a special place in my heart. But here's what I know. When somebody's got a special place in your heart, you pray harder. You'll pray harder for your friends than you will for strangers. As a rule, unless the Holy Spirit puts something on you. And I think you guys are friends. And and I I mean that. I I, I know the fingerprints of God are on this house. I know that God has amazing things. I I look at Valerie and I know that God's got his hand upon you. And I mean that. And it's good. And when I first met this little girl, Katie, the Lord thumped my heart. Your future is amazing, girl. I promise you. I promise you. I'm going to pray over you tonight. It's going to hurt. <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> but I've, I've heard some things already. I prayed for you today. You were on my heart today. I prayed for you. The Lord spoke some things. That I won't share them publicly. But you're pretty excited. Want me to share it publicly? I'm embarrassed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's what I know. God's up to something. And I, I'm going to say this. There's individual somethings and there's a collective something. But there's a shift in the house. I promise you there's a shift in the house. I, I, I'm just going to tell you straight up, these next couple of months will set you up for 2020, but 2020 is going to be ridiculous. And, and I've already seen that. I, I talked to Andrew and Bex about what I've seen with them. I'm telling you, we're right on course. Please hear what I'm going to say. Listen, in this house, you could have chose a couple of years ago to do things different and be at 350 right now. But you'd have 350 on not a solid foundation. And how many know if you build up, but you don't build deep, the first storm comes along and everything crashes. Before you go up, you got to go deep. I'm a builder by trade. I know what I'm talking about. And the higher you want to go up, the deeper you got to go down. I don't even know if that makes sense to everybody, but if you're a builder, you know what I'm talking about. There's depth in the house. 
God's still working some things out. And there's some things that are pretty amazing. But I'm here to tell you, you're right on time. Please hear what I'm going to say. You're right on time. You're right on time. Don't feel like, well, we missed it or we're way behind. No, you're right on time. You are where God wants you to be. You're right on time. And if you just happen to jump in, you just jumped in at a great time. Because it's going to get wild. So you might as well just get ready. This ride is, listen, oh, it's a thrill ride. Ride at your own risk. Keep your hands and arms inside the car. Okay. Because <laughs> it's getting hot. But I feel Jesus in this place. And I know what I'm talking about. I've been doing this for a long time. It's now. Get ready. Here's where my heart's at right now. Stay the course. What's that mean to you? Stay the course. The devil's not going to shoot at you if you're just a Sunday morning casual Christian because you're not a threat to him. Some will talk to you real plain. Some of you have been shot at. Didn't like it? Kind of withdrew. Just exactly what he wanted. You got distracted by the enemy's fire. But God said, I don't want you distracted by the enemy's fire. I want you carrying my fire. Stay the course stay the course I'm going to talk to you real straight right now for just a couple minutes several years ago before Lori and I were ever married I think I told you Sunday morning that I, I, I worked at a steel mill I was cutting a piece of steel I was lancing I don't have time to go into explaining what that is but you're cutting steel with oxygen and fire and it's a big deal and I had a 20 ton ingot and I was cutting it and when I did there was an ice pocket inside of it because of where they brought it from the molten steel hit the ice the ice melted turned into a vapor but it did it in a flash and as soon as it did it exploded when it exploded I was about 13 feet away from it I had an asbestos jacket on. It was January 28th, so I had lots of layers of clothes, flame-retarding clothing and an asbestos jacket, a face shield, spats that came up to my knees. If you're following any, that's fine. If not, it doesn't matter. Blew a hole in my chest. It blew windows out of the trailer 300 yards away. This is a major explosion. I'm on fire rolling around in the snow, right? The devil would have tried to take me out. I, I honestly believe that's what happened. And you know what it did? It made me that much more tenacious. And I said, ha, you had your shot, devil, now it's mine. Whew. A few years later, it's, it's 4.30 in the morning. I'm driving to the steel mill. I'm living in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania at this time. I'm on my way up Route 19. I'm driving a Ford Ranger. If you remember, them, a small pickup truck, little Chevy S10. We meet on a, on a corner. It's 4.30 in the morning. This kid had been at Morgantown University. He was partying all night. He was drunk out of his mind. We come on a 90-degree bend, and he came straight through the bend, hit me head on about 55, 60 miles an hour. We plowed into each other. The cars folded like this. I, I don't remember any of it. I woke up in the hospital. I won't get into all that. But the engine in my car was in the front seat, and they have no idea how I lived. But I have an idea. Why? And I said, well, devil, that's two strikes. <laughs> then a few years ago, about 14 years ago last month, 13 years ago, I guess it was, Pastor Lori and I are on a three-wheel motorcycle, and I'm come to a complete stop. We're going to make a left-hand turn. It's 1030 at night. We're going to turn into the what was called the South Hanover Diner. I stopped because there's seven cars coming south. I'm going north. I'm going to make a left-hand turn into the traffic, and a drunk driver and a, a young boy in a Jetta. 21 years old, drunk out of his mind, 
plowed into us from behind. That, that trike had a tow bar on the back of it, and that Jetta was dropped, so it went underneath the tow bar, which launched Lori and I straight up into the air. I came down on the yellow line and hit on my head. I didn't have a helmet on. I was actually test driving this bike, and we got another guy wanted to sell it to me. So I, I didn't even have a helmet on, neither did she. She landed on her butt. I landed on my head. They brought in two helicopters. They loaded her up on the helicopter, and as they had her on a gurney, they had me on a gurney, and that guy said, we're waving off the other helicopter. Wave the other helicopter off. The man's not going to live. He's going to die. That's what my wife heard as they were putting her in the helicopter. And she's screaming because she thinks she's never going to see me again. I went to see the EMT that, that got to me, the first EMT that got to me. And she told me, there's no way you're standing here in front of me. It's not even possible. I was picking pieces of your skull off the yellow line. She said, I've been doing this for eight years. The best I would have hoped for for you was quadriplegic or, or, or a complete vegetable. There's no way because it was a week later and I was standing in her living room. She said, that's a literal impossibility. I said, honey, let me tell you. You know why that's not an impossibility? Because this life isn't mine. I gave it to God a long time ago. My life is hid in Christ in God. I, I, I want you to understand. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because if I allowed all that stuff to distract me, watch. If you're on the front lines, you might take some heat. But here's the deal. you got two choices. You can decide. I'll sit around in my disappointment and rise up to my next appointment. I'm not going to let the ashes of the past keep me from the fire of the present. God's got a purpose and a plan for my life. And I want to fulfill. I don't want to leave anything that He has for me undone on the earth. I want you to get that tenacity. Like you stinking devil, you had your shot. It's my turn now. I, I don't even know if that makes sense to everybody. I'm challenging you with this because here's what I know. You have to make up your mind. I'm all in. I'm going after this thing. I'm not getting distracted. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to stay the course. You know why? My kids need me to stay the course. My friends need me to stay the course. My co-workers need me to stay the course. The church needs me to stay the course. There's people I haven't met yet, and I don't even know their name, but they need me to stay the course. Oh. Do you, can I say something? You that are here tonight, can I say this? This message isn't for you. It's for the 600 people who have never set foot in here but are going to be members by next year. Why? Because they need you to stay the course. Because God has a purpose, and you are a part of His plan. do with this thing man I want this fire burning inside of me I don't want to just stand around and come on Sundays and get affected by the fire I want to carry the fire in me I'm not just going to warm myself by the fire because when I get away from it it might not go so well but if I have that fire inside of me I'm not called just to get impacted by it I'm called to carry it if you're here tonight and that's where your heart's at you're saying man I want this fire meet me up here right now I don't know how we're going to do this yet. Andrew, come with me. I just feel Jesus. You want to bring anybody else up? That's fine. If not, me and you can do it. I, I, I feel this tonight. Man, I, I feel the fire of God coming. I feel the fire of God coming on us. I feel the fire of heaven. I feel the fire of the Holy Ghost. In that day, man, Listen to me. Those, those disciples, when, when, when Jesus gets brutally murdered, they all forsook him and fled. You guys know this, right? Come on, it's not just Peter that denied him. Peter denied him with his tongue, but every one of them denied him with their feet. But they regrouped. And Jesus said, I'm not done with you guys yet. 
Let me teach you something real quick while you're here, while you're gathering. What you think about this fire? Peter still didn't fully understand. So in John chapter 21, he's hanging out with the boys. This thing's kind of gone crazy, and they never saw it coming the way it did. They really expect, you guys know that they just expected Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. The Jews were going to overthrow the Romans. They were going to tax the Romans, get their money back, be in high-ranking positions. That's why That's why James and John, the mother, the, the wife of Zebedee, actually came to them and said, hey, when you set up your kingdom, let my kids sit, one on the right hand, one on the left. She's thinking earthly. Everything's twisted. They don't understand. And Peter looks at him and says something really powerful. He said, I go a fishing. And you and I read that and think, well, Peter wanted to go fishing today. No, if you read that in the Greek in the original text, the way it's written, I'm returning to my former occupation as a fisherman. Because I don't know how to do this ministry thing really well, but I'm a great fisher. Do you understand that? Why? I'm resorting back to my comfort zone. I'm resorting back to what was common to me. And he goes fishing, and Jesus is sitting there on the seashore. And he says, hey, you guys catch anything? And they said, no, we fished all night and didn't catch nothing. He said, cast your net on the other side. And they cast their net on the other side, and the 153 fish. How I many remember this story? It's this huge net of fishes. And, and Peter goes, whoa, dude, deja vu. <laughs> Why? Because it happened to them before. He said, I've been here. I know who that is. And he's got to bring himself back into line. I honestly feel like I'm preaching to somebody right now about that very experience in your life. Like you knew him but you drifted, and it's time to get back in line. It's time to say, I'm coming back. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do it better than I ever have before. I feel like, listen, please hear this. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not any kind of rebuke. This is an encouragement. I don't hear it as a rebuke. It's an encouragement. Jesus is actually saying, come on, guys. We can do this thing, but we've got to make up our mind. I'm going after that. You ready for this? Because I'm really ready for this. Anton, I feel this, buddy. Oh, you have no idea. Jesus is in this place. Anything on your heart? Here's what we're going to do, man. I I think we're just going to start laying hands on people, if that's good. And I feel like we're just, listen, I'm good to go till midnight. And then if anybody falls out the window, we'll raise them. I don't know, something. It's in the book. I I read it a while ago. (laughs) But, but, But here's the deal, man. I just know it's time. We're after this thing. I want you to focus right now on this one thing. This phrase is really resonating in my spirit. I refuse to allow disappointment to keep me from God's appointment for me. I refuse to allow, listen, I refuse to allow disappointment in me to keep me from God's appointment for me. I'm going to say that again. I refuse to allow disappointment in me to keep me from God's appointment for me. I promise you, man. His appointed time is on your life right now. Man, I feel Jesus on that. There's a lot of Holy Ghost weight on that right now. There's fire in the room right now. You guys feel this, man? I'm just going to pray a corporate prayer first, and then I'm going to start laying hands on you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, that we are the recipients of divine grace and mercy, that your goodness is upon us, that what you have for us is even better than we could ever imagine. And I'm inviting you, come Holy Ghost, come. God, I thank you for the power of heaven resonating upon your people. Fire of God, rest upon them. Fire of God, settle right now. Fire of God coming upon your children. Fire of God coming. Holy Ghost, fire. 
Holy Ghost fire right now. Fire of God just falling. Fire of God dwelling right now. God, we call this the dwelling place. Let your fire dwell right here in the dwelling place of your people. Holy Spirit, come. God, I thank you for sanctuaries of your goodness right now and the grace of God resting upon your people. We open our hearts and say, come on, Holy Ghost. Come on, Holy Spirit. Come on, Jesus. Fill us up, God. I pray. I just prophesy overflow right now. There's going to be an overflow in the house right now. Man, I hear the word overflow. Like the the, the power of God overflowing upon you right now. Jesus, come. Come.